Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Real Talk. It's Lucas here, and I hope that today's episode informs and inspires you to have your own real conversations. As always, today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Trivan, maker of trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at trivan.com. A huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show and making it possible. One other quick note before we get into today's episode is that if you are willing and able, if you could leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on any of the podcast networks or platforms that allow for it, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that will be much appreciated as it helps get the word out there and lets people know what we're all about. So with that in mind, on to the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to Real Talk. Uh, for another episode, we are thankful to have RP's own Alexandra Ellison with us again. Um, be like third time or fourth time at this point that she's appeared on the podcast. So we're thankful that you're here. Um, and we have a, a unique topic, I guess, today talking about education, but more specifically technology and the use of technology in reformed education. So it's something that uh, I've thought a lot about and or had to think a lot about in uh, the education space. And Alexander had the chance to do some investigative journalism kind of in this space. So uh, we're excited to hear what what she's found. And um, yeah, so welcome to the show again. Good to have you. Thank you. No, it's been uh, very interesting uh, over the past weeks, kind of working on this project for the uh, March slash April issue of Reform Perspective. So you can kind of read the full feature piece, but the main focus is just really, you know, what's happening within reform schools when it comes to technology, um, whether that be personal phone devices, computers, YouTube videos, you know, how are they kind of conducting this in the classroom, especially with um, emerging technologies like artificial intelligence. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about some of the findings. Yeah, it's awesome. I got a chance to read your your draft of your uh the uh, piece going into the the magazine. So that's fantastic. And then I guess this podcast will drop right around the same time. Um, so people can listen to this. They go check out your, uh, your article as well. And, and uh, really dive into what the, your, uh, your findings in the survey and, and some of the, the uh, research you've done. So it's, yeah, it's really cool. Why don't you give people a, an idea of like how this came about um, like as an idea and then like how this um, all your investigative um, like your survey and stuff like that, that you've done. Um, how you guys came up with that idea. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, kind of just came across within uh, editorial discussions. I honestly probably give up the credit to John uh, for for the idea. Um, but I think it was, yeah, just an, an interesting process because we kind of were talking about it and then we're like, well, what really is happening within the school systems? Like it's it's been a long time since I was in high school. Or, so then technology has changed even just from those past four yeah. years. Um, so just, just thinking about that, wanting to know what's happening now. Um, and yeah, just getting like a variety, uh, a wide range of, um, ideas and opinions and, and what's yeah going on there. So what, what we started off with first, um, was kind of conducting a Google survey. So we put a bunch of questions kind of asking schools to attach their own specific policies. Um, so we got, uh, sent it out to around over like 20 different reform schools. So they were uh, Canadian reform schools, United reform schools, uh, and then some confessionally reform schools that um, don't have necessarily have like a particular um, church denomination. And we had about 12 schools responded. And uh, 
there's one thing that we did. Um, one thing that we did find was that uh, 91% actually said that they they have specific policies when it comes to devices, which which was uh, kind of good to hear because you kind of think with with things changing and everything, you're like, are Christians, do Christians really know what's happening with these uh, yeah. new technologies that are coming around? Um, so it was, that was kind of good to hear that uh, we are, we are aware of this and um, yeah. So I don't know if we want to dive right into some of the findings yeah. or. Yeah. I appreciate that your approach was like to find out what, I mean, it's just investigative, right? Like you're finding out where like the current um, we're kind of at as reform schools and not like, pushing um kind of the principles or the people you surveyed to like um kind of speculate on like the path they're going to take with it because yeah like you said it's it changes so much that even like over a four-year span of a kid going through high school it's like it's kind of night and day like a, like chat gbt ai came in and like if that happened while you were in high school it's a totally different landscape like the amount of things you're able to do um the different technologies you can utilize is yeah it's kind of it's kind of jaw dropping like it when i was went through school it was like microsoft word like that was cutting edge and like that was what our computer classes uh um consisted of but it's uh it's moved so far since then and like it's yeah like you said it's it's encouraging to see that our schools have kind of kept up with policy and and thinking about this um and not trying not to get left behind um, I'm sure there's like some financial implications in budgets trying to like keep up with all this stuff, but it's uh, it's good to see that the appetite is there um, to keep up. So yeah, why don't you why don't you dive into I guess a little bit of the findings of the of the survey and what you uh, what you discovered that kind of struck you? Yeah, sure. Um, so when it comes to uh, kind of the the broad sense of kind of the cell, the topic of cell phones, I found that there was a large, and even when it comes to public school system, there's kind of been provincial bans when it comes to bringing your uh, phones to schools, which, oh, really? um, yeah. So it, it, I found it interesting because I spoke with, um, someone, so his name is uh, Mark Singerland and he's a uh, principal at, uh, Calvin Christian school, uh, which is in Alberta. And he spoke about how, uh, they they put the ban on, but then some parents said, well, my grade 11 kid or my grade 12 kid drives to school every single day. So we would like them to have a phone. Um, so then they decided, OK, we'll we'll take off the we'll take that off. We can try to let grade 11 and 12 have access. But right. then the hardest part was that they would have they would just be on the phones all day at school. And with no kind of regulation, it was just really hard for them to kind of keep that balance. So they ended up actually um, going back. So I have a clip from the interview that maybe we want to try and yeah. play that. All right, yeah, let's play it. And then we'll, uh, we'll see what Mark has to say. Where is Calvin Christian? It's That's in uh, Cole, Colehurst. Oh, okay. That's all right. Yeah. Let me play this here. So we, we actually went back. Um, this is now our second year with, with no student devices on school property at all. Um, we were anticipating a lot more pushback than we got. Um, there are those who wish it was different, of course, who, who want to to stay connected, but a lot of students actually really appreciate that. Um, for They realize the impact themselves on, on their attention and their focus, but especially in terms of the peer dynamics, um, those who maybe felt guilty going too far or using it more than, than they thought they should before, um, 
had to, in a sense, to keep up with with their peers. And now that that pressure is is totally off. So uh, that we we feel that was was a very good move to uh, to go away from it again. And yeah, you mentioned Ontario. Actually, just over the Christmas holidays, uh, Quebec has has gone the same way. Um, no student devices in class. Uh, the Netherlands. So I, I read a report late last year that nearly half of all countries in the world have some level of restriction on student devices in, in classrooms. So this is this is not just a couple of jurisdictions. It's it's very widespread. People are struggling with with this balance um, around the world. And and if I can bring in one more thing, um, you know, our, our modeling as adults is a piece of this too. Um, when when we had um, an assembly last year again regarding social media and its impacts we we had the same presentation or a similar presentation for parents and what they see from us as as a high school staff when we went back to no devices for students we made a commitment as high school staff that we were going to to minimize that altogether as well um we, we can model that um i my cell phone when i get to school it, it goes face down and uh, if people need to get a hold of me then that's not a reliable way during the during the day. So it's it's addictive and it's attractive for, for all of us. And, and we all need to be very intentional about uh, ensuring that it remains a tool rather than a master. Um, we can e very easily find excuses for doing the things that we want to do. And it's it's a lot harder to to really take a look at why you know, are, are we just following cultural trends a few years behind or are we being intentional about how the use of these very powerful tools either promotes or detracts from that reformed worldview we're trying to develop in our young people? So that's the good. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's there's a lot in there. Wow. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> I wonder the one thing I'm, I'm uh, kind of struck by was the. Um, the fact that the governments, like there's a lot of government, even public schools struggling with this. And you kind of, I may have kind of assumed that um, they would just kind of not take a stand on it, like maybe restrict some accesses to harmful websites and stuff or on their network at school, but leave. I mean, when I think of public school, I don't think of them like having no cell phones. Although like, if you think about it from an educational standpoint, that does make sense. But yeah, it's it's interesting to hear that that's something that everyone's struggling with. Um and it's not just us as Christians trying to like moderate things because of our Christian viewpoint. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if cell phone, the cell phone policy that they have uh, implemented there that he describes, like just having no cell phones impacts overall usage for the kids. Like obviously that they can, you can only as a school uh, like restrict usage at school or uh yeah around school events and stuff but like i wonder if that fosters better habits for the kids and then when they go home they're less likely to be on it too it's mm -hmm. uh because like you said it's really addictive especially like social media and stuff there's a lot there's a lot that goes around like these especially a phone um i'm curious if that's uh if that has an impact that'd be interesting to know yeah and i <laughs> think i even think one thing that was interesting about that was the the fact that he noted the kind of positive impact that it made, 
I, I kind of thought that was interesting that he said some of the kids felt pressure to, you know, be mm. on their phones because they saw other kids were doing it. But then now that the policy is put in place or you know, maybe there are kids that don't have phones. So then they saw other kids doing that and, and it almost encouraged them. So maybe just creating that environment where it's just not allowed. So that's just not yeah. a part of the culture is yeah. kind of, and then also just being able to model after the adults in your life, the teachers in your life, you know, if the kids aren't allowed to be on the phones during the day, then, you know, parents and teachers should also um, be a good influence on that. And it's also, yeah. you know, the school should be a place where your kid is kind of protected. So it is kind of weird how we have this dynamic now where it's like, oh, you need to have your phone in the classroom so that I can, you know, contact my kid about, you know, going to an appointment. Um, I think he mentioned um, when I was speaking to him earlier, he also said like, you, the phone is still in the school office. They can call the office if you yeah. know you need to get a hold of your kid. You don't need to be texting your kid in class. No. And that was like, that was revolutionary technology when that came about. He's like, I can call the office. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Before it was just like, send your kid off and hopefully they come back at the right time. And if they don't, while well, you wait a couple of days before you report it, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, um, it's, it's interesting because the kids, like, I don't know if we hold kids to a higher standard, but the kids, like, if you go to like a grocery store, or you're in line at an airport or something like, that, like everyone's on their phone. And like, it's almost like a social norm that you just pull it out. And like, it is kind of that pressure thing that he's talking about. Like, if everyone's on their phone, there's nothing to do but be on your phone. Like, cause no one's going to mm -hmm. engage you in a conversation unless they're maybe over 55 or something. Like, it's just like, if you're a young person and you're like, I don't really want to be on my phone, but there's not like, it's not like you just strike up conversations or, um, so yeah, like maybe, maybe we kind of like notice that in ourselves as older people, then we're like, Oh, the kids shouldn't have this. Then the kids look at us like, well, you have it. Why not? Why can't I? Have? So it's, but it's so new that it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to know is the environment that we're living in where like we are dependent on this stuff or like social media is so addicting for like whatever, maybe like if you're like 30 ish, like my age is like probably the worst. Like we grew up with it, kind of grew up with it, but then like you get addicted to it because it's so, it's so new and it filled the void for people in a lot of ways. Like it's it, it's interesting and like does it are we just in that situation and now we're kind of like trying to figure out how to fix it for our kids or like yeah because i don't think we want our kids where we are that's like it's kind yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting it's just like a hard to a hard balance to strike but a hard phone man mm -hmm. seems to be like more common looking at the survey results too like it seems to be more common than i thought it would be yeah no it's it's definitely something where it's the culture is almost having a shift, right? We, you yeah. know, phones came out and then everyone, everyone got devices, laptops, everything. But then now I think that it's been a long time and we've been able to see the kind of detrimental impacts that things like social media have kind of just disconnected us from people. Now it's uh, kind of that, you know, turning away and, and trying something new with it. And of course there's still benefits um which i guess we can we can talk touch on a little bit later um yeah. but that was definitely kind of a, a downside what about um, like um devices in the schools like so like we talk about cell phones like that'd be like person like kids personal devices but what about like i guess school sanctioned devices or like laptops for learning or ipads or whatever like what did uh 
what do the schools have to say about that? Yeah, so there was kind of a a mixed approach that we kind of saw. So there were some schools that uh, went for for the older grades, um, kind of a one to one device policy. So that comes in for high schoolers. So kind of grade eight to 12, uh, which would mean that they would all have like a Chromebook or a laptop or an iPad or something that um, they would take to school. And um, in many ways, they they talked about how there would be kind of a firewall put in place so that they couldn't get on to, you know, inappropriate websites uh, to get on to. Um, you know, anything that might be distracting the learning environment. Um, so, but they said most of the time they use that so that kids can type, kids can create slideshows, kids can create everything, um, not necessarily to just be using the internet all the time, but more so as a tool. Um, sometimes this, this could cause distractions. I spoke to some, uh, researchers at Calvin university and they said, although this can be important, uh, to kind of have that access, it's all, it's, it's very easy to get distracted when you're on. I I find for myself, sometimes just being on my laptop, I could be doing some work remotely and then, you know, start watching YouTube videos or start. And of course you can try to block, um, put firewalls in place as you know, every school said, you know, a hundred percent of people in the survey said that they all have some kind of firewalls in place by their IT guys to um, kind of set that and be proactive in trying to keep kids away from being distracted. Um, But you can't necessarily block everything. And that was kind of one of the key findings was, so uh, some of the researchers that I spoke with, um, they wrote a book and it's called, now I need to find the name. Um, but it's, uh, digital, it's like, uh, they did a three year study and it was, they went into different, um, classrooms. They spoke with teachers. They, uh, went in when kids actually kids and students and teachers didn't know, like they got permission from the schools, but they were able to go in and kind of get like a real idea of what was happening. How are kids getting distracted when it comes to digital technology in the classes? And what they found was that the biggest kind of distraction was not necessarily, um, you know, going to find uh, inappropriate content, going to play games on your computer. It was actually um, online shopping. So um, I have a clip. Yeah, I have a clip uh, from David Smith. So it's the uh, clip one if we want to try to play that. And right. listen. Yeah, let's listen to this. This is uh, that is interesting. All right. It was fascinating to me that you mentioned going on Amazon because um something else that was uh, i think one of your questions was about surprise findings this is something i don't think i anticipated before the study but it's perhaps one of the things in the study that has worried me most since we did the study is that the problem wasn't just distraction i mean yeah you still you did sometimes see kids going on bubble shooter or you know whatever and just sort of going off onto games but the most common form of distraction was going shopping um it wasn't playing games it wasn't social media because that was mostly filtered out by the school um and it's really quite a recent thing if you think about it historically to have a student sitting in let's say a math class i mean students have always been distracted since the dawn of time right that that that's not a new thing um the new thing is that i can be sitting in math class and the device that has my textbook on it also has ads and shopping and this this constant drawing into this sort of consumer realm of you need to buy something, you need to buy something, you need to buy this. Have you looked at this? Have you looked at this? Right. And and the internet's designed that way. The whole internet is monetized by 
creating addictive advertising because the the whole business model is the site is free for you to look at because you're looking at ads all the time. Um, so that kind of what, what we then found was was that while a lot of the parent community and teacher community, when they think about the dangers of digital devices, really worried about sex, right? You know, Christians worry a lot about sex, right? And so worried about access to pornography, um, access to sexual material online, access to the wrong views about sex. Some worry about cyberbullying and violence and violent material and so on. Very little worry about shopping, right? Because that's not something that that like Western middle class Christians worry about very much. Um, we're as gung ho about that as everybody else. Um, so, in terms of again faith formation, spiritual formation, um, materialism wasn't very high on people's radars. In terms of a thing that digital technology might be influencing, um, <clears throat> sort of constant push to build your life around shopping. And even if you're not directly buying things right now, you're browsing websites that are selling you things um, and fantasizing about things that you could be buying. And you're doing that when you're supposed to be in math class. In fact, the most chilling quote from a student, um, I don't know if I could find it quickly enough to give you the exact quote, was a student who was describing to us why it's really good to have laptops in school. And they said something very like this. They said, it, it's great because like in Bible class, um, you can take notes faster and you can get the assignments written faster. And then while the teacher's talking, you've got time to go shopping. And this is in Bible class, right? <laughs> you know, the great thing about a laptop is it lets me go shopping while the teacher's talking about the Bible, but still get my work turned in because I can type it really fast. So that was that was pretty terrifying to me. Um, and And I think just, I don't know where your mind goes when you hear shopping, right? Um, it may have been clothing, but it was also tires, big tires for trucks. Yeah, yeah. Right? Most of truck tires. This is... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, that's a good clip. That's um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely something you don't think about. Um, maybe the kids would. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, they're doing so. But yeah, that's a bit. Yeah, that's a bit concerning because, yeah, that's definitely not something that the, the first thing you would uh, think about banning or restricting as a like a policy um, in terms of technology, like in the school for like, yeah, for your like firewall mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, yeah, what? Uh, so that's they're the, they were the authors. Yeah, so of this they, book. they were the authors of this book. It's called um, Digital Life Together. Um, so it was. Yeah. So it was all okay. about. Um, yeah, just over three years, they went in and did kind of some video documentary style where they were kind of filming. They had different focus groups with um, like parents, teachers, and kids, um, just really trying to similar to almost what I did, but just over a, just a very long period of time um, being able to capture. Right. Yeah. So that is interesting to see that we're kind of turning to uh, something like shopping and almost that lusting for you know material items so i know that there's there's an, one other clip yeah. that i had where um david speaks a little bit further onto this and i kind of wanted to just add that because he almost puts it you know people were not a people were almost felt shame to speak about how you know they had friends that were searching for inappropriate content yet when it comes to something like you know, coveting or, you know, wanting, wanting more, wanting to buy more clothes or do this, they didn't really feel that shame. Right. So maybe if we want to try playing that next. Right. Week. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's find that. And it was very striking to me that when we talked to students in focus groups about challenges of technology, 
when when they talked about pornography, it was with a sense they they knew that this was a bad thing, right? So there was a sense of shame about it. There was a sense of like, well, yeah, maybe like I know somebody who has a problem with that, and uh, you know, it was always sort of slightly off stage and little. When they talked about shopping, there was no sense of shame. This was a birthright. They they would have their laptops up and shopping for stuff right in front of our cameras while we were observing class. No sense that they were doing anything here that was at all problematic. And so again, I started thinking, if you've been taught as part of your Christian schooling that you should look out for bad stuff on the internet, that was a phrase that a parent used in a focus group, we've got to teach them about bad stuff on the internet. And bad stuff on the internet is mostly naked people and, and violence and the wrong politics, then that doesn't teach you to connect discernment with how much time you're spending lusting after consumer goods. Uh, so that was a really interesting thing to see going on as well, just this differential in terms of like some things that they were kind of aware of and shamed about and and, and other things that were they, they were just like, yeah, this is it's my birthright to go shopping in math class. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's uh, yeah, I mean, that definitely. It definitely speaks to like how we prioritize um, or how we think about different like sins, I guess. Right. Like, how do you mm -hmm. um, I guess it's just something that you just don't think about it. It's slowly fostering a problem like similar to social media, I guess, right? Like when that first came out, it was like, yeah, like this is a great way to connect and stay connected with people who, you know, live somewhere else. And then it became like this addictive, like dopamine rush like system that you're like chasing. And then it became fake. And like, now you're going on fake vacations. <laughs> like there's just like, it's so hard to like think about all that ahead of time, but yeah, like having kids even, yeah, even, I don't know. Like I didn't online shop till I was, 30 probably <laughs> no maybe like mm -hmm. mid 20s because it wasn't a thing like yeah. ebay but like ebay was no fun like amazon only came around like 10 years ago or something so it's like mm -hmm. yeah that's totally uh something that would be good to, for people to consider yeah that's uh that's interesting so uh apart from that what were some of the challenges that that schools faced with this stuff like in terms of uh yeah, like firewalls and, and things like that. Yeah, so kind of one of the like main challenges when it comes to this is, um, you know, whether it be kids having iPads, having, uh, you know, Chromebooks, computers, um, being able to just restrict or to kind of enforce the policies that they have in place. You know, many of them, it's like if you get caught uh, if you get caught, you know, going to websites that you shouldn't be going to, then, you know, you lose the device for X amount of days, you'll do this, you know, but who has to enforce this is the teachers. And if you have a large class, it can be really hard to kind of um, conduct that in a way where you're really ensuring that everyone is, you know, staying on task. Um, mm. So there is one school actually in particular that in the survey, they mentioned that they use something called GAT Shield, which was interesting because it says that every kid in the class, let's say you have, you know, 20 kids in a class and they're all on a screen. Um, they're actually able to take that screen and then project it on the main screen so that, you know, the teacher can see and have a view, kind of a bird's eye view on everything that's going on, which I think is really um, is cool. It's definitely hard to kind of keep your eyes um, logged in everyone's computer screen. But if you have something where you can um, just be able to see everything in a way, and again, it's it's like using our using a technology, but then also using another technology yeah. uh, to kind of combat how you can um, 
how you can kind of use it in a way um, to kind of watch um, what kids are doing and right. to ensure that it's safe. And that's kind um, of what I, I like, do know. Yeah. It just prevents kids <laughs> from doing it, right? Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. I guess there's different mechanisms, right? There's like ones that like try to prevent kids from doing things. And then there's ones that like incentivize them not to. So, mm-hmm. like, this would be kind of like that. Like, you just like, well, at any point, I could project your monitor up here and then everyone would see, yeah. like, right. So, that kind of just like, keeps everyone in check a little bit but there was also some yeah. that um where the like the it department could look back at history or or it would email uh yeah. anything that was problematic it would email to the teacher or it people and um in that way kind of keep tabs on things yeah so i think if you i think part of that same technology is that if you do go to like a website or try to search something that you're not supposed to i think that the firewall will be in place so you actually you can't access it but then just because you're accessing it, then yeah, it will also kind of notify your teachers what's going on. So that kind of stops you at the forefront before you even, it'll kind of confront you, yeah. um, you know, if you are seeking out something that's not good. So I think that's kind of good for um, having accountability when it comes to um, just being discerning with what you're doing, um, practicing online. Yeah. So, but most people did have especially in the older grades did most schools had the technology right like they were they were mm-hmm. actively using laptops or whatever say i'm do you have any idea of like what they were using it for like is it mostly like notes and was it like uh i mean i guess like for kids doing presentations on powerpoint and stuff like that um what do you have any idea like what programs they run to like help with learning or yeah so most of the time like a, a wide variety of the principals i spoke with said that Um, You know, Google Classroom is kind of the main thing they'll use it for. It's an easy way for them to be able to have access to um, give students their grades and also for students to be able to submit assignments. So it's completely different now where, you know, when I was in school, I would do my assignment and print it out and then give it to the teacher and they would paper mark it. But then now. Double-sided. Yeah. Double-spaced. Times New Roman. Yes. Yes. Um, but now it's just online and a lot of um, drop boxes. So they'll use all the Google suite kind of things to do, you know, Google slides, different presentation materials. Um, but then there's lots of schools that were also using some of the more um, interactive technologies to enhance the learning environment. So some spoke about, I don't know if you know what Kahoot is. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Isn't that like so a voting thing or something? Yeah, so it's like a game where the teacher can project the the screen and you know everyone can sign in and let's just say you want to do you're doing a class on history, Canadian history and you create a um uh like a quiz for kids to answer. Oh yeah. So yeah, then yeah. they all have like a computer or an iPad and then they can choose there's like this music that plays in the background and you have a time and it's like almost like a game show. Yeah, right. Um, but you can we did yeah. that at, I did that at a wedding once. That's right. Uh-huh. It, it was like questions of the couple and everyone signs in and then they were like, you ask, you answer, and then you can see like the leaderboard and people that's yes. kind of fun. Yeah. yeah we used to do like around fun. the world where like a teacher would like ask you questions and you'd like go through the class. Yeah. <laughs> we I think that's I like, would do um like uh Jeopardy, but we would just hmm. use like a chalkboard yeah. and then they would just write it on. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is like so the uh this is the rudimentary version. 
<laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, but I even found because I used to um I taught at a summer camp one year and I know I, I was teaching like digital media and they loved Kahoot and I would do um the Kahoot kind of thing. But I think the hardest part was that I remember how distracted the kids would get. And we didn't have kind of firewalls in place at the right. camp that I was running. So it was like they would be, you know, playing Kahoot, but then someone, a kid would be losing and then they would switch to a different ad. So right. it, it would be important to, yeah, kind of have those uh, restrictions in place. Interesting. Yeah. So there are good like mm-hmm. learning. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's more like, that's pretty engaging for the kids, but it's a good learning tool. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you kind of don't get that if you don't have like, everyone has a device, I guess. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. So yeah. What are some of the other challenges that they had? I don't know if we've touched on all of them. Um, um, yeah, so I could I could talk a bit, bit more about the a large percentage said that uh, when it comes to something like AI and you know artificial intelligence, uh, chat GPT, uh, that is when their teachers are just kind of confused. They really just don't know how yeah. it's happening so fast. Um, so just kind of conducting it in a way, using it in a way that... Um, or not using it at all in a way that can still glorify God can be uh, quite a challenge. So, so I did actually, um, I spoke to one principal who said that they thought that they uh, caught a kid using chat GPT, but the hardest part was that they couldn't even figure out whether they were using it or not, because uh, they put it into one kind of data tracker and it said like, yes, this is verified chat GPT. But then they put it into a different one and it said that it wasn't chat GPT. So it's kind of hard to see, um, you know, whether students are using it or not, but a large percentage said that they have, you know, seen kids interact for homework assignments or for essays, um, which is, interesting to hear. I don't, I don't know. How, what would you think if you were, if you were in high school right now, do you think that that would be a temptation for you almost? Because I, I think for me, oh. it's like, you look at it and it's like, wow, these kids have access to be able to, yeah. So, so much online. Oh, definitely. Be, it depends on who your teacher is, but like if your teacher's not up on that technology, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's more than likely, especially like if you have a, a teacher who's been around for 10 years, like that teacher doesn't know what chat GPT is. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like <laughs> and if they do like good for them, but like, it's, it is hard even as like a 30 year old to keep up with what's going on. And the kids are all over it. Like all they do is sit and watch YouTube about how to use chat GPT better. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I would definitely, um, I would definitely be utilizing it. I don't know if I would be like, if I had to write an essay, if I would just like, I would definitely not just copy paste it off of there, Mm -hmm. but there's so much like, there's so much value to like asking it questions about how to approach a subject or like asking it for like, basically like I've, I've heard people talk about like writing a sermon and it'll write you like a theme in three points. Right. So it'll like write Mm -hmm. you, it'll give you the structure that you need. So it, it takes a bit of that, like, yeah, like formulating the argument in the perfect way. Like it'll, it'll help you do that. So I guess there, there is value to it. Like it's, it's kind of your ideas, but like it's helping you present them better. So if you can utilize it like that, then yeah, I would definitely do it. But it's also like, yeah, I mean, you could just copy paste off of it. And I don't know how easy it is for a teacher to catch that. I've heard teachers be like, oh yeah, and I'm like, I for sure can tell. But I'm like, there's other I'm sure there's people using it who don't 
who you can't tell. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. unless you've read like the kids previous work, but especially kids coming up in the younger grades, like their work is chat GPT. So they're all going to be like, they all talk <laughs> exactly the same. They argue the exact same. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, but yeah, definitely something that's hard to like wrap your head around, but I think it's just like, you have to be super attentive to like the technology that exists. Right. Mm-hmm. So did most, did most teachers or most, uh, people you interviewed or talked to in the survey and stuff, did they, um, did they want to embrace it or did it, was it like, kind of like, we need to like abolish this, like don't let kids use it. Um, most, most of them just like, they didn't know how to, they didn't know how to kind of embrace it. So I actually did speak with someone. Um, his name is Jason Taves and he is, um, so he's a Christian AI expert. And I found him because he wrote an article on how Christian education can be enhanced by using AI. And I was like, I haven't seen anyone really take on this perspective. Um, but he kind of went along the lines of using it as an educational opportunity for individualized education. Um, so I have a clip that we could play where he'll, he'll talk about that. And I think it's, it's quite interesting. Oh yeah. I'm super interested in this. This is a, it's definitely like emerging technology, but it's something that might change the way we do education. So, all right, let's play this. My mm-hmm. my kind of like 101 of how to get started is to think very carefully about two, two, two paradigms that you would have in the classroom. One is, what are those specific tasks as teachers that we really want to do with our students that we can't do today? but it would really like make that personalized learning or help them uh, understand the lesson or the concepts, you know, that much better. It's just, we don't have time to sit down one-on-one with every kid. If we can let AI sit in that very specific interaction and say, hey, if you're not understanding this lesson, I can actually change it a little bit so you understand it in an interest or a perspective that makes sense to you. So this could be, adaptions to IEPs, this could be, you know, the example I gave earlier of taking a, a student interest and you're just playing off that idea. When will I ever use this in real life? So, okay, well, what are you interested in? You're interested in cosmopology, air school. Here's where you'll use this and here's how. And here's an example of, you know, how this works. And even tailoring custom hallmark assignments for that. So you could deliver the same concepts and get a good assessment based off of the student's individualized um, interests. So that's the application of it. And for that, if we're not talking about kind of worldview standards, Christian standards that, that might get in the way. So in the math example, it's fairly easy. Like there's not a lot of context around a Christian worldview or standards. Math is math. History might be a lot different, right? Science might be a lot different. Evolution comes into play in those types of things. But if, if it's something fairly straightforward and specific, using some of the platforms like ChatGPT out of the box can be helpful. There still should probably be a teacher in between the student's interaction with that content. But if you're creating customized, personalized lessons or homework uh, for students, it could be really valuable too. Yeah, that's uh, that's some interesting stuff. It's um, yeah, it's so hard to know what to do with 
technology until you know what the technology does. <laughs> so yeah. like that's, that's cool to hear. Like, so using a, like a lesson, taking a lesson and like having AI tailor it to a student's interests or like career path, even like that. I mean, I don't even know how you would do that, mm-hmm. especially some of like say advanced math and like you're trying to apply it to like, yeah, he's, he mentioned hairdressing or yeah. like cosmetology there, or hair. Yeah. I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, there, but there are it's definitely some things that like, if especially like I think of accounting, cause I took, I took business in university and I, I hated accounting. I was like, this is so dry and so boring. And now at, I run a business and I'm like, I wish I learned accounting, but like accounting was so dry. I just was like, I can't stand this debit credit. I don't care. Like, I'm just going to figure it out when I figure it out. But like, had, had I had something to be like, okay, no, this is how it applies. And I was from a, like a landscaping background. So when I was like going through university, I was working landscaping. If they could like apply that and like, oh, if you have like, if you buy a truck, that's an asset, then you will apply it like this. I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> so like, and I'm sure but, that it could, you do that. Like it totally could tailor it in oh, a yeah. way that, yeah. but at this point, like you can't, a teacher can't do it. Can, a teacher, a good teacher can do that for like a good portion of students, but not for everybody because there's just not enough mm-hmm. time in the day. And there's no way to like, you can't make. 40 different 20 different lesson plans like it's like well this student's gonna think about it like that and the student's like i mean yeah ideally but that's like a private tutor but like if you could turn a teacher a good teacher and ai into a tutor who's like tailoring things to exactly how a kid thinks it's uh yeah i mean i don't know that's probably changes the way we do education too (laughs) yeah definitely and i think it is interesting how he uses math as the example but then he kind of says well when it comes to something like history science you know it could be a little bit more challenging by you know if you just say oh generate something that goes along the lines of this you know you can't necessarily change history like you know and and especially from what the world view of chat gpt is coming yeah. from that can that kind of where is where it can kind of impose this challenge so i thought was cool was uh jason also spoke about um some of the schools that he was equipping he talked about how you could do kind of a worldview challenge within your class by getting students to ask ai different kind of maybe more contentious controversial questions that they know that the ai is not going to answer or they're going to you know say that their system can't do that for them right um and then have them kind of have to seek answers uh, you know online or seek answers through each other um or seek an- answers through scripture um rather than you know turning to some technological ai that's going to just oh, yeah. give you a response yeah, I think we've all argued with Chat GPT. It's fun. It's like trying to convince it that it's wrong is uh when it definitely is. Um that's yeah, that's super interesting. I wonder if there's a way to like cuz you mentioned Chat GPT, but there's definitely other AI systems that can kind of uh they they don't have that like um worldview overlay. Like they kind of are they're a little bit more neutral or they have like I mean hypothetically you could even have a Christian overlay over like so that you would have a Christian um ai system that would like help you understand the world from a christian viewpoint which would be like that would be very very hard to make especially if you want it to be specifically reformed it would be be tough (laughs) but yeah i think even like even in history and stuff though like some kids would like 
or even language, like English, it depends on the, uh, a little bit on the educational like goals, but like if a kid's interested in like, say linguistics versus like learning old language or like old English, like Shakespeare stuff, or like has more of a flair for like the drama side of English, um, or like in history, like if you're really interested in like technology and like, how did like the, yeah, the use of planes or ships like affect the world war or something, as opposed to like, maybe you're really interested in the people and like, how did this psychology like, I guess there's so many different ways to approach history that you could like, but also like, I don't know how that would apply in a class where like now all of a sudden you have, you basically have like, if you have 15 students, you got 15 different courses happening. Because no, mm-hmm. everyone's learning about, say, like Second World War, but no one's learning the same stuff. So yeah. then, like, how does a teacher, like, while that's effective, like, how does a teacher mark anything, or like, how do you keep track of what's going on? Like, it's so mm-hmm. so hard. Because I guess but... in the case if it was like a math assignment, and then let's say you, I was doing a math assignment, and you know it had to do with basketball, and you're doing a math assignment and had to do with landscaping. But we were coming to the, it's the exact it's the same, same answers. Like, yeah, it's the same yeah, answers. The same it's problem, the same yeah. problems. But then, yeah, it would be different if you kind of go to that individualized learning in a different sense of more yeah. kind of your interest. Because in a math sense, it's not, it's like your interest, but then it's also, it's just math, right? Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about though, like in terms of interest and like, um, yeah, like adapting learning to like student, even like career paths later on, like. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about that in like AI in terms of that. I, I have heard like um, they were, there was a, I don't know whether there's a school, I'm probably going to botch the whole reference, but it's, it has to do with like learning styles of kids. And we all know, like, you know, I learn better by hearing things and writing them down, or I learn better by seeing stuff or like everyone has their own like way they absorb knowledge better. And so they were doing this with, with reading. And I thought that was really interesting. So from from my yeah from my life so I was actually a really really good reader until grade four and then I was a terrible reader for the rest of my life (laughs) so what I've what I this is probably more a theory but like I think why why it was is because I have a good I had a good memory for the makeups of words and so I memorized every word up to grade four the way it looks (laughs) And so I never sounded out words. And I think part of that was probably I never read like way beyond my reading level. I always just read at my reading level. And so I never learned to sound words out. And then when I hit, when you hit grade five, six, you start getting into like stuff where you don't know all the, like there's tons of new words you get. Grade (laughs) four is like you stick to like, you know, Bob had a red dog and like, and then like, once you get past that, like I was a bad reader, like forever. And so like, there was a technology that someone was using. They said like, as kids grow up, the like AI would identify how they read and push them a certain direction to read like something that challenges the way they learn. And so like these kids were advancing. I think they were using this thing like an hour a day for a year and they were a year ahead of other kids in their reading wow. level. And I was like, that would like changed my childhood. Like had, a, I mean, yeah. you don't know how much of that's like innate and how much you can actually learn, but like, Mm-hmm. if you can utilize things like that just to like help kids the way that like they learn i thought that was like crazy use of technology and i mean i don't know how far away we would be from like adopting something like that but it sounds <laughs> like it's something that can like change the way kids are when they get into those mid-grades mm-hmm. and i'm sure it also it also has to do with kind of reflecting on 
what classroom sizes look like. I'm sure that, you know, when it comes to a lot of the classes that I were in, like it was like between 20 to 25 kids. So when you have that many kids, it's very hard to kind of create that individualized program for everyone. So using something like chat GPT could be, could be important. But then at the same time, if you have a smaller class, I've spoken to people with like eight kids in a class, it is easier for teachers to kind of tailor the program to them. So it it all depends on kind of what you're going to give, what you're going to take. Yeah, that's true. It just gets more expensive to have classes. But yeah, I guess it's like, I was a kid who did well in school in the, like I did well in school pretty well through the whole thing. Like I was pretty, oh yeah, I was whatever. I was not a good reader. So I just kind of like didn't read. I'm pretty much, I went through English classes without even reading books. But like if, uh, but like I would be ignored because I was like a decent student, right? So like Mm-hmm. A, a teacher in elementary school is like, oh yeah, that kid's good. He's like, he's a, he's where I need him to be in this course, like in this class. But he, it doesn't push you, right? It's like not like, well, okay, he's like doing okay. Let's just push him in that field or whatever. So I wonder if like that's something we could use AI for to like help, yeah, like help like students who because everyone has like their gifts, right? Like push people into or push you know people in their skills in certain areas, like. It is tough. It's like a very hard thing to wrap our heads around, but I'm glad that people are engaging with it, like in our Christian schools and like, not just like pushing it aside and saying, okay, we need to like basically go Amish with this and, you know, not, whereas a lot of us kind of want to, cause we're like, just, it's just uncomfortable to learn all the time. It's like, let's just go back to being like traditional. Here's a pencil. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Were there any other, uh, other challenges? I think that was I probably covered most of them. Yeah, I guess like I mean, yeah. The one the one thing is like get parents. Like, were, was there a difference between like the way parents view technology and the way it's viewed as school by an educator? Like, I don't know if it, I can't remember a specific question that would touch on that, but if uh, I'm curious, if like, do parents are parents comfortable with that too? Because it's it's not just something that's like in the classroom and then like the parents have to be on board with what's happening too. So mm-hmm. the kids, and that's are, actually, the kids are taking yeah. a laptop home. Like what, yeah, what does that all look like? Yeah, that's what, um, so in some of the policies that I was sent, um, some of them had specific lines where it said, uh, you know, your student has to sign this as well as your parent has to sign this. Um, if you, right. if you can go, um, if you're going to be using a computer in class or if you're going to be, you know, watching these videos in class, then you, um, your parent has to be involved, which is important because it's like, you know, I, if I was a parent, then I would want to know that what my kid is doing online and just to know that the school is, um, ensuring that the specific protections are put in place. And I think especially parents, maybe older parents, they don't necessarily know if, you know, the internet is bad or what could, what could be happening on there. So it is important to kind of have um, have the schools be informative on that. And I found that there wasn't any lack of uh, parental knowledge when it came to uh, just knowing what's happening in the classrooms. Yeah, policy. Right. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's like in our in our reform schools, it's a lot a lot of it's parent driven, right? Like they, yeah. I did notice that there was one oh, one question you had in there was that um, whether or not. Uh, the schools are getting feedback from parents whether they should use more or less technology and no one said no one said uh, more they all said less yeah. then everyone's uh-huh. still really using it quite a bit so 
which is yeah it's interesting yeah, it is interesting you think that they would because they kind of said that 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 they would kind of draw back on it a little bit more or you yeah. know find different methods well i i do know that um one one uh, principal that i spoke with said that they uh now spend like one hour uh one hour each school week um and this was a school that did have devices like they had cell phones at the school but they would use one hour a week where they would bring all of the kids from different grades together and they would just have like a socialization time where they would play games, board games and different activities like that, which is sure. it's weird to think about that. You have to kind of create a space that is um, away from technology. But they created that and they said, you know, kids were um, finding that the culture was changing around just not being on devices without having to enforce some strict um, policy. Yeah, that's something that I would like. Personally, I'd really love to see because it's yeah, like we've we've mentioned, like it's just so addictive. And it's like these things like I mean, I work at a computer all day, every day. And it's like I would but I still find myself like even though I use technology all the time, it's still addicting. Like your your phone is still always like every time it pings, I look at it. It's like I'd love to see kids like somehow have the ability to get away from that. Just not like be forced because I mean, being forced helps just because you're like you're creating good habits. But like being able to like understand what technology is and then a better way to like deal with it and not like always just be glued to it. Like my generation's probably it's probably the worst. Like older generations don't didn't grow up with it, so the all the habits aren't there. And like when you're yeah, you're in your thirties ish right now, like it's a lot of like we we had it, it was addicting, and now we had and we have no guidance on how to use it because no one knows yet. Like it's just yeah so and i think what's what's so hard about it is that it's not like for me i'm like i i kind of i was talking with someone the other day and she said that um she had a friend that just got a flip phone and got rid of her iphone and i was oh, yeah, like yeah. i wish i could do something like that but i i need to have my phone so i can you know check my email for work you know so i can yeah. you know check slack so i can check all of these you know different things so i can so it's almost like it it's connected to your regular life so that you can't. And when I was in university, I, you know, so although I didn't have that online using devices when I was in, um, you know, elementary school or high school, but then when I got to university, everything is online. You always have to be, you know, checking your phone to see when the teacher is going to make an announcement, checking what's happening. Um, so you can't really, you can't really just be like, Oh no, I'm not going to have a phone at all because it's just applied to everyday life. Yeah, it's interesting that we went from like no one ex- was expected to have technology to now like if you don't have a smartphone, like uh, they're making an exception for you, like trying to figure out how to communicate with you. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're expected to get that notification, and if you don't, it's kind of like, well, you're weird. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. or I just think of like um, COVID and when it comes to QR codes, and it yeah. was like if you go to a restaurant and there's a QR, and now they they just haven't brought back paper menus and some i had a point where i didn't have the best data on my phone so i would go out for dinner and i'd be like oh can i use someone else's phone to look what the menu is because i just don't you don't That's have so access funny. to the menu <laughs> and they're like maybe you should just leave because like this yeah. is <laughs> and like i just think of an older person that would be there and maybe they don't have data on their phone and yep. you know they just don't they can't yeah, order this <laughs> yeah that's not great that's just a bad business decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious. So what do you think about, this is just kind of like 
pushing the future. So this is like very investigative, which I appreciate. But then do you think like the rate at which technology is changing almost makes it impossible to keep it in schools? Like, I'm just thinking like, we talked actually off air right before we started recording. And I was just thinking about like, when I was going through school, it was like typing class and we learned to type because no one had a computer at home. Or if you did, it was like, yeah, everyone's two finger in typing. And now kids are like coming into school and they could probably type better. They could definitely type better on their phones, like than any of us. And they can probably type with their eyes closed. And even on a computer, like kids just grew up with that. And so now like a typing class where it's like, how many words a minute are you typing? Doesn't seem like as big a deal as it used to. Like, Mm -hmm. are we kind of like, we we still have a type if you still have a typing class are we just behind the times like are we are we kind of like should we be yeah i don't know like looking into like voice recognition softwares and things like like there's so much stuff coming out that's like mm-hmm. if you're still doing a typing course it almost seems like you're in the olden times now like are we even going to be able to keep up like with what's happening yeah and i think that was kind of like one thing where Like we don't necessarily need to teach kids anymore how to like, cause you said you had computer class. I would have computer class growing up where we would learn, you know, how to code, how to create websites, how to type, how to do all of this stuff online. But then now as you get older and now as, as technology, as everyone just has a computer, a phone or something at home, they just know how to do everything now. So now it's more parents and teachers need to recognize that, Kids know what is happening online. They know how to use it, but how can we disciple them in a way that um, will glorify God and that, you know, they can be discerning of what is human and what is AI, what is not real. Um, And I think that's a, like kind of a whole nother discussion as well, when it comes to kind of information online, you know, knowing the difference between truth and then what is, what is false. Yeah. but really it's more, we can't, we can't just run away from technology because it's there. It's not, it's not going away anytime soon, but it's really just equipping the students so that they, they have the tools to know how to use it in a way that's, um, yeah, that honors God. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a hard thing to navigate, I guess, like just bringing a Christian perspective to everything to, Mm -hmm emerging technology because yeah like there is always a good side and a bad side to it right like social media was i mean maybe a little bit more evident that it's not all good but the um but yeah in terms of like ai technologies and stuff like that like there's always two ends of it and yeah you can make a case that it's good but a lot of what it's used for isn't so yeah i guess it's just like you gotta stay aware and i'm glad that i'm glad to hear that the reform schools are like really paying attention to it and hopefully uh yeah hopefully there could be some like collaboration too and like these students or these schools can help each other out and try to try to navigate this because a lot of it's not a lot of it's not political which is kind of like refreshing in our schools <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're so used to like fighting against things because it's like a political way of like whatever we're, we're fighting against the government for um you know our curriculum content or whatever but this is kind of a thing that's everyone's kind of struggling with so It'd be, uh, yeah, it'll be, it's, it's encouraging to see and hopefully, uh, we can chart a path forward, I guess. So is there anything else that, uh, you noticed in there? Um, not, not, 
I think I think one key takeaway just about this is that just kind of recognizing or just opening up the whole point of this was almost just to open up the conversation, yeah. uh, you know, just to see, to give people an idea what, you know, what different schools are doing. Right. I said that there's the one-to-one policy. There's, you know, de- there's, you know, no devices at all. No. So there's just a wide range of people doing different um, you know, implementing different technologies, using technologies in ways, you know, using AI, using, you know, Kahoot or different things. Yeah. So I think that it's good to just be like, you know, what is happening? And then now it's kind of, we can come to the point, have these conversations in our churches, in our schools, with the people around us and kind of say, you know, what, how can we use this in a way that's good? And how can we also equip other people that are confused, right? Because some people did mention in the survey that they don't know how to interact with something like AI. They don't know how to. So it's almost like if we can start the conversation now um, before things get way out of hand, because we don't know what AI is going to be like within the next years or what it's going to look like within the next six months. So just, just kind of, yeah, broadening it in a sense where, um, you know, people are, people know what's happening and that they need to always kind of be checking in and uh, reforming and changing things in a way that, um, yeah, will ultimately be for the, for the common good. Yeah. Well, sounds like a good spot for a reform perspective to slot in. It's, yeah. uh, you know, help stay on top of some of this stuff. Cause it's uh, yeah, definitely something that everyone needs to be thinking about. And yeah, at every context from like kindergarten to grade 12 is kind of, yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no escaping it. So that's awesome. I appreciate you you joining us. And then people can go check out your article when this when this podcast drops. Hopefully, your uh, the magazine's already out um, or close to it, anyways. And people can go and check out the article. And it gives a, I guess we we covered a lot of stuff, but there's a lot uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot in there too. Um, and yeah, hopefully this is an issue that we can keep keep covering and um, yeah, keep keep looking into and helping people navigate. So really appreciate your time and uh, helping us go through this topic and appreciate you doing like all your investigative journalism on uh, and taking time to actually dig into what's happening. And, you know, it's, it's uh, you're in a, you're in a good position to do that because not a lot of people have the opportunity to really understand what, what's happening with, you know, across the, the, across the country, basically um, Mm -hmm. in, in terms of any topic. So yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, just, yeah, make sure to go check out the the full feature article in the March and April issue. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Till next time, keep having real talk. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.